Welcome back, everybody. How we doing? I'm Charlie Marlowe. That's Brendan Schaefer. We, we created maybe a name for the podcast. Did I we? thought it was funny. I don't know. I guess I did <laughs> low-hanging fruit, kind of a fun inside joke with a John Mosellock statement from years ago. I think it was maybe 15, 16, 17, whatever a it was. long time. Long time ago. So I'm one of these people, Brendan. I don't even think the name of a podcast really matters. So maybe we'll call it low-hanging fruit. Maybe somebody will say, hey, I don't like that name. But either way, it's just two people talking about Cardinals baseball. Yeah, and I think uh, people commenting, if they, I mean, people did the first time and they commented what they thought the podcast should be called. You never know. Somebody might come up with a great one. So keep dropping your suggestions in the comments. Maybe we'll use it. Who knows? Okay, so let's break it down. This may be a podcast where it's kind of more of me interviewing you because well, why you had. Not? Whoa, 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 whoa. We were both at winter warm up. I, you had credentials for it. I had credentials for it. I, you were there, weren't you? Well, I was there. I would say I was there in spirit. Oh, okay. Is that fair? Here's, I, well, I here's, so. yeah. here's the way I look at it. Look, <laughs> I feel like now I don't want to act like uh, this was a prison sentence, but I feel like I did my time at winter warmup. I probably okay. covered winter warmup, I don't know, 10 to 14 times. I mean, there were weekends I was there Saturday, Sunday, Monday, filming, interviewing. I mean, literally every, I remember coming back and we would have 40 interviews of yeah. every Cardinals player, every every coach, every freaking old Cardinals player that was there, every prospect, and then you'd have 40 interviews to run. So I'm not complaining. What I'm saying is, see, <laughs> see, you're the expert. You know, oh, it was okay. a little cold. It was about, yeah. what, negative three on Saturday? Awful. Tell me about it. Well, it, it's the my favorite weekend of the year, if it's opposite day, because every <laughs> single year it's zero degrees and you have to park far away and you have to survive the frostbite to get in the building. It's Honestly, it's better now. I don't know how many years it's been since you've gone, but now they do it at Bush Stadium in the interview room rather than like, the coat closet of some hotel. So it's a lot better for media now. And they actually fed us this year. I don't know if that's maybe something that would change your mind for the future, but we did get lunch included. What was uh, it? Box lunch? You know, it was, they had sandwiches, a salad bar, a, a different kind of soup every day. It was solid. I'd give it that's like good. a seven out of 10. It was very, a uh, very thoughtful gesture because normally you have to leave and find a way to scavenge for yourself, but nobody wanted to go outside this year. It was so cold, but you know, it was good. It's a chance to kind of get, your bearings a little bit before spring training and uh, you know, sometimes some good little news nuggets come out of it. And so we'll see what, uh, what we come up with to talk about today. Okay. So, you know, you used to help me get content uh, for YouTube, but of course now you're your own big YouTube star yourself. Well, so, so Jeff Jones sent me, you know, I watched clips on Twitter and whatnot. And then, so, so I'm just trying to lay out for the folks and yourself of what I saw and consumed. I watched all of the Mosellock with the media. I watched all the Mosellock with the fans, Q&A, with Polo Asensio. I watched all of Mosellock with uh, the Cardinals, the magazine folks. That was just a little 10-minute deal. I watched all of the DeWitts, which is about 40 minutes. I watched all of Ali, which was about 30, 35 minutes. Uh, yeah. Discalzo is the next one I'm, I'm going to watch before I post. So I feel like I've, I've got enough. Not as much players. I haven't really watched the players' pressers yet. But kind of give me, hell, man, just – what do you think? What was the most interesting uh, stuff that you uh, came across? You know, it's hard to really glean a whole lot of it because everybody's in the best shape of their lives. And, you know, in some cases you feel like that's true. I think we saw a slim down Luke and Baker and then Alec Burleson comes in and everybody was kind of talking about how Luke and Baker look, you know, real trim. 
And Alec Burleson goes, hey, I, I dropped 12 pounds. Nobody said anything. What's going on there? Uh, so that was kind of funny. You know, the 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 DeWitts, when the DeWitts talk and when Mosellock talks, I feel like those are the big things that people, because people are looking still in mid-January for, are the Cardinals going to make more moves? And it sounds like, you know, it had been reported a couple of different places that, oh, they've reached kind of their, their benchmark for payroll. And I don't think that's really 100% the case. I think they're still after a relief pitcher if they can find the right fit. Um, and if they get one, like a good one, I could see the the makings of a dynamic bullpen, potentially, if that should come to pass. And then a lot of what was discussed with the DeWitts, there was a lot of talk of the RSN situation with Bally Sports. We know that's all in flux. And then, of course, like the next day, we see, well, Amazon's now getting involved. And so that's going to kind of throw a wrench into some things as well. Uh, but, I mean, those were the big takeaways. Uh, we could talk about the Paul Goldschmidt stuff where it had been previously reported that, hey, you know, the Cardinals, like they often do with veteran players, are ready to sign a contract extension with Goldie. Um, and then maybe not so fast on that was sort of the read I got from from the winter warm-up weekend. So those were some of the big storylines that it's, it's so crazy because it's like, hey, give me a, a five-minute spiel on what happened. I don't know. I was just trying to survive it. But those were some of the things that, that stuck out to me. Okay, let's start with the Goldie deal. I like the TV stuff too. It's, I don't want to say it's boring to me, but it's a lot of minutia. And I don't know that anybody really knows what's going to happen in it's, 2025. It's changing so much too, even since winter warm up. So, yeah. Right. So, just, just so you know, I, I haven't really, again, gotten to all the players and whatnot. But so I was listening the other day, I think it was two nights ago, that uh, Bernie Miklas on 590 The Fan were, hey, we both work there now. Yeah, I don't know if anybody knows that yet, but I'll be, yeah, I'll be uh, hanging out on Fridays at on 590. Um, you know, Charlie, he, he's so busy, right? So he's got to take a few days off of the radio show, Hot Take Central per week, and I'm going to help out on Fridays um, just because, again, he's got so much going on that he just needs people to, to kind of pick up his slack a little bit. Well, first of all, it's great to have you. And I, I truly believe no one actually believes me. People have no idea how much work I'm doing for NASCAR alone, no, especially true. when the season starts. It's literally 40 to 50 hours a week of straight NASCAR. That's a different yeah. story. That's the Kenny Wallace show. You guys can follow that as well. But I wanted to congratulate Brendan. Great to have you on 590 The Fan. <clears throat> You're going to be fantastic there and all that. So, But the other day, um, Derek Gould was on with Bernie Miklas a couple nights ago. You guys can check this out on the 590 The Fan website. And he got into this about Paul Goldschmidt. And he essentially said, and I'm paraphrasing here, that it was kind of a mutual deal for, for two or three different reasons. So both parties can now say, okay, if you're the Cardinals, well, let's be real. Paul Goldschmidt is not young. Let's see how he starts the 2024 year. Hey, if you're Paul Goldschmidt and you want to win a World Series, you want to win, you know, typically the Cardinals do win. Hasn't been as great last few years, especially last year, even when they get to the playoffs. We're not talking deep runs. Goldie can also see, hey, is this the place I want to play my last two to three years and have a chance to win a World Series? And then maybe the most important part is the finances of it, which Derek was explaining. When you are a veteran player, you've been there a long time. Essentially, you can't give a, a big pay cut to a guy uh, until they're a free agent. I explain what you know about that and, and everything I just said. Yeah, and I think I'll start with the finances of it because with where Goldschmidt is, I don't know offhand what his salary is, but if it's 20-some-odd million and Goldie has kind of a repeat of what he did last year, which was still good, solid, but not like typical Paul Goldschmidt numbers, you would think that even if he decides he wants to remain with the Cardinals for the rest of his career, even if the Cardinals decide that they would like to have him for that duration of time, you can't necessarily just sign him to that deal 
before free agency. And it's kind of like what happened with Adam Wainwright a few years ago when he was coming off that big contract that didn't really go uh, the, the way that anybody wanted. But the Cardinals said, hey, we will bring you back on more of an incentive-laden deal. But they had to actually wait for it. Oh, thank you. Uh, the numbers are great there. You got him offhand. Well, I wasn't. I oh, see, I'm at ring light. I wasn't. Yeah. I, w- I wasn't ignoring. I was looking up his salary. So he's making, he is making twenty six million. He's made twenty six million for this whole contract for for five years, and he's he's entering his age thirty six season. Okay, so what I believe to be the case about this is, if he's making twenty six mil, the rule on that is for a player of I don't know if it's ten years of service or whatever it is, Goldschmidt certainly qualifies. You can't offer him a salary while he's still signed. Like you can't offer an extension that would be less than it's either like 80 or 85% of his prior salary. So you can't take more than like a 15% pay cut and have that be legal within like the MLB players association. That's why that comes in. They don't want guys taking ultra team friendly deals. Just, you know, that, that just looks bad for the league and for the players association. So you can't do that. But once a guy becomes a free agent, anything goes. So what happened a few years ago with Wainwright is technically for a moment there, Adam Wainwright became a free agent. But then you remember the Cardinals re-signed him to a pretty low base salary, but he had lots of incentives and ended up doing pretty well that season. Um, But it was a huge pay cut from what his base salary was previously. So right now, if the Cardinals wanted to do an extension with Goldschmidt, if he's making 26 million, his annual salary would have to at least be like 20, 21 million. And let's be honest with the way he performed last year and you expect maybe more decline as someone enters their late thirties, he probably wouldn't be worth that. And he might recognize that as well. Kind of like Wayno did a few years back and ends up saying, Hey, I may want to be a Cardinal, but the Cardinals just don't have an incentive to sign him to a 21 million average annual value because he may not be worth that. So from that perspective, even if both sides said, yeah, I want to stay, you do kind of have to wait and see how it plays out because maybe they're going to sign him for two years, 30 million total. They just wouldn't be able to do that yet. And from Goldie's perspective, works out for him because maybe he returns to his prior performance and ends up to where the Cardinals would want to pay him that 20 million a year. We just don't know yet. And so I guess from that perspective, it does make a lot of sense to kind of wait it out. And then there's the winning aspect that you mentioned, Charlie. Like, what if the season doesn't go well for the Cardinals? That could throw everything into flux, including what happens with Goldie including what happens with Arenado, who could then say, hey, maybe I would like to be traded. And suddenly the Cardinals are in the modified rebuild that could look very interesting as well. Yeah, even even if Goldie for this extension would be entering his 37 and 38 age seasons, I still feel like that number feels about 20 to me, whether it's with the Cardinals or or someone else. And, you know, this is the time of year where we can talk about these hypotheticals. And even right. if they never, even if they never come to pass, it's fine because they they potentially could. I think what's interesting and and risky in a way, because I, I feel like most folks thought Paul Goldschmidt just feels like that guy that gets that Matt Carpenter extension. Now, when I yeah. say that, I don't mean the negatives of it's gonna be bad, but just the the extension to the older player that you really like. That is essentially the legacy Cardinal. Even though Paul Goldschmidt didn't start his career here, he's he's starting to feel like a legacy Cardinal. But to me, what's interesting is, okay, well, if you start the year and he doesn't have a deal, what happens if things go south this year? Then I feel like he's a trade chip at the deadline. He has to be. If, if the Cardinals have a bad year, he would have to be a trade chip at the deadline. Can I walk you through quickly like the what happens if things go south for this team? Because it's a lot of chain reaction that's one of the things that happens goldie has a solid year but the cardinals are out of the race by july 
he's traded. Is Arenado traded at the deadline or in the offseason? I think more than likely you see one of those two things happen. We know that Ali Marmel is going into the final year of his deal. Suddenly, that is absolutely in, it, beyond in question. It would, I mean, if the Cardinals don't have a winning record, it's hard to imagine them keeping the status quo there because John Mozalock is under the gun a little bit too. Not that I think Bill DeWitt would ever pull the trigger on that and, and actually fire him, but does Mo take a beat and go, you know, maybe it's just time that I step aside? And oh, yeah, there was some Heim Bloom stuff that was asked about over the weekend at winter warmup as well where Mosellock said, I think people are kind of getting ahead of themselves with the Bloom hire, and, and he's going to be my replacement. I'm not sitting here and retiring today, but it's, you know, it's still kind of coming down the line. But if nothing else, it strengthens our bench in terms of who could be the replacement. That's what Mosellock said of the Bloom hire. And note this about Bloom as well. Where was he a high-level executive before Boston? Tampa. What's their payroll always? Zero. They don't have a payroll, and yet they do really well. So, Bill DeWitt notices that there's a guy on the market that's available who has success in the past with low payroll operations and getting the most out of those operations. The Cardinals are going into a spell where they have some uncertainty about the TV contracts and the performance on the field. I could absolutely, again, you have to take a few steps of logic to say this would happen and then this and then that, but could I see the Cardinals winning 75 games? No more Arenado, no more Goldie, whether they're traded or whatever the case might be. Maybe it's Yachty is the manager or somebody else is the manager because the guy didn't win for two years and Mosellock takes a step a, a step aside a year early from 2025. Bloom comes in and they try to go with a low payroll for a couple of years, build up the farm system, and then really attack. Stranger things have happened. Haven't they set themselves up for something like that with these one-year pitcher contracts too? Like That's five or six or seven different things, but if they have a bad year, I don't think it's tinfoil stuff to think that they could go in that direction. Okay. And I think this is very interesting. And if folks who are watching this, you can see the, the interview with Polo Asensio and with John Mosellock with the fans, because it was at the end and it's on YouTube. The Cardinals posted it. I believe it was towards the end. The fan asked about a rebuild. Yeah. And what you just described, I think sometimes when we, when we think of rebuild, sometimes we think of the Astros back in the day and the Cubs. Right. I don't think the Cardinals rebuild will ever look like that. I kind of think more of when I got here, which was 08, kind of that 07, 08, it wasn't a teardown rebuild. They were, they were building back up. And the reason I say this is, so you mentioned the, the starting pitching. There's where it's super interesting, the quote-unquote rebuild. Because you could foresee, if things don't go great for um, Lynn and Gibson, okay, you got Sonny Gray, you got Miles Michaelis, you got Steven Matz, but you have a couple opportunities for some young guys maybe then to, to, to get their shot in the big leagues. Yeah. But can, and, and I understand a lower payroll, but the Cardinals, the Cardinals' crop of position players is pretty damn good. And they got a lot of young guys with a lot of control. So, I mean – how are you going to have a full-on rebuild when you have Jordan Walker and Mason Wynn and Brennan Donovan and Nolan Gorman? Maybe you trade one of those guys, but I don't know. I don't see any type of teardown rebuild. I see maybe a little mini tweak. Uh -huh. And it wouldn't take a teardown because really all it would be is not renewing some of the guys that they have. You don't bring Lynn back on that option. You don't bring Gibson back. You save your you know $25 million there. Um, you have a different manager. Yachty coming in probably makes more than Ollie Marmel. Like, just I, even with no managerial experience, wouldn't you figure that that Yachty's going to get the most money? Um, again, I don't think he'll bring a contract to Mo. Yachty yeah. will bring a contract to Mo and say, "This Here's is my contract." Yeah. <laughs> so, 
But like, so you save some money on your pitching there. You mentioned the three guys that would be under contract with Mats, Michaelis, and a couple more years of Sonny Gray. Those again, those guys will be competitive somewhat. Nobody's going to feel like it's a playoff team, but I think with what they'd have, trading Goldie, Arenado, like Goldie at the deadline before he comes a free agent, Arenado at either the deadline or in the winter, you don't renew those two pitchers. And now suddenly it's 2025. You've got those three starters. And hey, Zach Thompson wasn't terrible when he filled in. He's in your rotation. Hey, Tink Hens is maybe ready. You know, Graceffo is maybe ready. McGreevy. So you have, you're not paying a couple of starters. And then you mentioned the position players. Let me give you a mock lineup that we talked about at winter warmup, some of the media folks. And I think it's interesting. Like if you, if you have to get rid of your corner infielders, you're not paying them. That's another 50 million off the books. But how bad is this lineup in 2025? Catcher Herrera, first baseman Wilson Contreras, second baseman uh, would be Brendan Donovan, shortstop Mason Wynn, third baseman Nolan Gorman, left field Newt Bar, center field Victor Scott, who stole 94 bases last year in the minors, right fielder Jordan Walker. It's not, I mean, th- that Newt. Uh, Newt uh, left field Newt. Yeah, Newton left, Victor Scott in center, Walker in right. DH, you know, whatever the case might be. And it's not that I think Wilson Contreras won't be able to be a nice catcher, but with Herrera, if he takes that step forward and you're paying Wilson and, you know, could Jordan Walker move to first? I don't know. He's trying to learn outfield right now. So the people could align that whatever way they think, but Gorman naturally could slide back to third. Donovan could be a nice uh, second baseman. And you've got guys like Thomas to JC on the way to fill out the bench. Is that is that team with adding no new pitching and no new guys on the position player group and letting everybody walk like Goldie and Arenado? Is that team making the playoffs? Probably not. But could it win eighty? Could it win 80, 82 games and get butts in the seats because people want to watch Mason win and watch Jordan Walker and the Cardinals just kind of take a beat like a year for twenty twenty five and say, hey, if we sneak in the playoffs, great. But people will be able to see the young talent. And Heim Bloom's now your your guy in charge because he's got such experience with getting. Uh, more from less in terms of payroll. Could they go that route again? I don't think it's tinfoil stuff if this coming year is a bad one. Like, that's how it would line up to me. There might be some tweaks here and there. But how many how many games does that team win in your mind if it's like Zach Thompson and one of the prospects, Tink Hens, in the rotation? Well, that's the question. Because to be honest with you, when you when you rattle off that lineup, that's pretty nice. It's Honestly, not bad. man, that's, a, not bad. that's an exciting, young talented lineup i understand you're losing on paper goldie and arenado but you're also giving opportunities to some other folks again we know positionally a walker and a gorman could end up in the corner infield i don't know man like to me it's all about the pitching it's a very obvious statement but as you started to to ring off that lineup that's exciting man that's that's a nice lineup of young by the way they could trade him or they could have him float around like tommy Edmonds, a solid player he's going to be getting closer to you know probably making He's going to make $6 million this year. He can make $10 million next year. If they're really trying to trim payroll, you trade Edmund away for a young pitcher or whatever you think you can get there, and suddenly you've knocked like $90 million off the payroll, and Cardinals fans would hate that, right? There would be some upset people, but then opening day would roll around, and Jordan Walker would hit a bomb, and people would assimilate. People would get, people would get behind that and say, all right, one year with a little lower payroll, and then they'll have the muscle to add to the team in 2026. I'm not saying anybody's going to like it, but it's kind of fun to live in this alternate reality and think if they suck again, what could happen? I think that could be an example of it. So the TV stuff, which to me is, I know a lot of fans are interested about it in terms of where they'll watch their games, which I get, that's part of it. And by the way, I've chased the Cardinals 
for about five to seven years from direct TV to YouTube TV. Then it was dropped from YouTube TV. I had to go back to direct TV, even though I didn't like it. I didn't like their customer service, but I did it specifically for the Cardinals. So I get, I get that people are interested in that of how to watch the games. To me, they're going to be somewhere streaming or TV. So that doesn't really interest me as much as the payroll flexibility aspects of it. Yeah. And it, it now sounds like, you know, they're going to get their full payment, which is great for 2024. To me, from a business standpoint, if I'm a business owner, and, and I've dealt with this on a much lower level, the uncertainty is is really what's hanging over that that is really bothersome. So I think at least for the Cardinals, now you have certainty for 2024. But if you watch the DeWitt's presser, which I did put on my YouTube channel here, I mean, half that press conference was about the TV. And it seems like there's a ton of uncertainty beyond 2024 of what they'll do. There could be a, a large infrastructure investment if the Cardinals do their own thing or if they pair with the Blues. They talked about all those things. To me still, I think what's interesting about the payroll is is clearly you had a unique year with, with the bad season, so you don't know about ticket revenue, even though Builder with a Third said they were pleasantly surprised with yeah. it. You have the uncertainty with the television, which now there's more certainty. They're going to get the full payment. But I still look, for example, down the road. You know, they they kicked the Sonny Gray contract so that the third year he'll be making $35 million. And then the other, the $5 million buyout is a deferral over five years. But you know, the Cardinals, whatever happens, you know, two years from now, you're going to hear from the Cardinals, well, oh, we can't spend. Well, why not? Because you're spending $35 million on Sonny Gray because you deferred that money because you're uncertain about payroll in 2024. So every every reaction, what's the old, every action has an equal and opposite reaction. Yep. This Sonny Gray deal in 2024, there's going to be an impact in 2026 if the Cardinals say, oh, we're not going to spend. Well, that's because you kicked that money to 2026. Yeah, and that's I think that also kind of lines up with the tinfoil theory of if things go badly this year, 2025. Like, what if that's the year in which the Cardinals have to start up their own thing and it takes some time to get subscriptions or whatever. You know, it you you've got that infrastructure being built, and so that takes some money out of your pockets. Uh, the revenues aren't as robust as a result. Like, yeah, I absolutely think that this is going to become a factor. But what I will say is, like, in hearing Bill DeWitt the third talk, it seems as though he in particular and the Cardinals as, as an extension of that are on top of what this could look like and basically saying we are preparing as though we're going to have to produce it ourselves and in so doing we'll be ready for anything, right? If Amazon swoops in and the Cardinals are satisfied by whatever they might offer for the digital streaming rights, because again, with this Amazon Prime thing, the Cardinals aren't under that umbrella as of yet when it comes to streaming because a lot of people would say, oh, I can, I can Amazon Prime it and now I'm good to go. That's really not the case yet because Bally's and Diamond Sports did not own the streaming rights to the Cardinals. So that's the, the deal that's taking place is not necessarily going to fix that. Uh, but could there then later Amazon says, hey, this worked out well for us with the teams that we did have the rights to. We gained a lot of prime subscribers, whatever the case. And we're going to make a robust offer to the Cardinals to get that rights from them. That could happen. Or the Cardinals could say, we think we can long term make more money off of doing it ourselves. And so whatever the case is going to end up being, I think that gets resolved and changes from the current structure for 2025. Uh, and then we'll kind of see how it plays out there. And that'll then come with the certainty, hopefully for the Cardinals of here's what it looks like on the money front. And we're going to be just fine. Uh, but for right now it is in flux and that is going to have some impact down the road. If it's not resolved in a way that that is a boon for the Cardinals financially. Let's do some more, some more tinfoil hat stuff. I like this. 
Remember several years ago when John Mosellock really got involved with the Memphis Stadium and all that, that project? And, right. you know, we've all interviewed John Mosellock probably hundreds of times over the years. And, and he's talked about that he has interests beyond just the baseball on the field, but, but business. He's a businessman in the business of baseball. I think about this. I mean, if John Mosellock really is going to step away from the day-to-day chief decision baseball guy, after what, after next year, kind of the perfect project is to let this guy take, take hold of what, what could be an unbelievable revenue opportunity for the Cardinals if they own this TV stuff themselves or if they do it with the Blues. That's why if I'm the Cardinals, look, I understand the last couple of years with the Bally's has been a headache, but big picture, the Cardinals are smart business folks. I think big picture, it's probably the best for them to own it to do it themselves. Now it might not be the best for their bottom line in 2025, right? but for the next five, 10, 15 years, that's what I would be doing. If I'm the Cardinals, I'm going to own that myself. Yeah. And I see people saying like, well, the Cardinals aren't the Yankees. You know, the market isn't New York. The market isn't Chicago where they're doing things like that. And I'm going to, again, I'm not like behind the scenes with all the market research to know this to be true, but think about how vast the Cardinal nation is and where fans are spread all across the country. If the Cardinals can rip this apart of the rest of it and have their own ability to sell directly to the people that want to watch Cardinal baseball, people are initially probably going to go, oh, man, the price of that is more than I thought it would be. But how many of those people, like Charlie Marlowe, will be able to say, I don't need DirecTV anymore, and I paid more for DirecTV than I did the Cardinals, and let's be honest, what was I watching on cable other than Cardinal baseball or Blues hockey? Like there is where I look at it and agree with you completely because I think there would be an opportunity and they recognize this. Like I could see it in Bill DeWitt the third's eyes where he's spent a lot of time on this. Someone was asked asking him like, has this been the, the most dominant thing in your day to day over the past year? And he said, it kind of ebbs and flows where there'll be days at a time where it's all I work on because we're reaching a milestone on it. And then we get that part of the project done and I move on to other things. But he said, it's absolutely been something that's taken up a, a good chunk of his time over the past year. I think the Cardinals are on top of it. Like they're talking about having to do that market research themselves. And when you think about it, it makes sense when he says, we haven't really had to do that because the contract with Bally's was a long, long time. They were supposed to handle it and take care of it. Why did we need to spend resources on knowing our market in that regard when it comes to television? And and now they're doing those sorts of things to kind of get that background and prepare for what it could look like. I think, even though St. Louis is the whatever media media market rather than Chicago, New York, I think St. Louis and Cardinal Nation is a very unique thing in and of itself where they could, by owning it, have a have a really nice way to kind of monetize this and, and make it something on par with some of those bigger markets because the Cardinals and their fan base has always outpaced the size of what St. Louis is as a media market. Yeah, maybe I'm wrong about this, but when I hear the talk of the Cardinals and Blues going together, I don't know if that makes as much sense as people think. This is just my opinion. I could be wrong. I've been here now 16 years. You're from here. But as much as you know, people in St. Louis and the greater St. Louis TV market, which we know goes all the way out to where you're at in Wentzville or O'Fallon Moe to O'Fallon Ill, but to me, the Cardinals' footprint, and, and tell me if you think I'm wrong, but the Cardinals' footprint is much wider than the Blues. And when you talk about all these states, many of them that still don't have a professional baseball team or a major league team, some of them do now. But if you just start going around and you talk about, of course, Southern Illinois, Cardinals country, you go to parts of Iowa, 
You can, you can go to Arkansas. You can go to Tennessee. You start to basically do that circle yeah. you know, around St. Louis, and you look at all the different states and, and folks, and I think a lot of those folks have an appetite for Cardinals baseball. Even look at where the Cardinals minor league affiliates have been over the years, going back to when they did spring training in the hot springs of Arkansas to they had the, the team in uh, – where in Tennessee was it for a while? I forgot. They got rid of that team. I don't Whatever the hell it was. They, they had they had a minor league team there. Um, Johnson so City, something like that. Johnson City. But I'm just saying, I think the Cardinals' footprint is way bigger than the Blues. I, I don't see a lot of people in Arkansas that want to watch the Blues game. Maybe I'm wrong, but a lot of those folks, I think, would want to watch the Cardinals. Yeah, I think you're 100% right. Don't take offense to this, folks, who are just Blues fans, and that's, you know, you're the biggest Bluesier out there. It, it Just the reality, I think, of the situation is exactly what Charlie is saying, where the Cardinals just have more of a, of a draw, and, you know, that goes back to KMOX spanning throughout the Midwest years back and, and people that didn't have teams to root for in those, those locations picked up Cardinal baseball. And now it's a generational thing. A lot of those folks are in areas where they can't even watch the games now because they're blacked out on MLB TV. And that's another thing that I do believe gets resolved after this whole thing crumbles. The Cardinals are then able to say is digital streaming. There's no, I mean, what do you mean blackout? There's no such thing. These are our fans and we can control it. The Cardinals are biding their time and just waiting for that moment because when it hits, I think they're going to have a lot of success as long as they roll it out in the right way. I think a Cardinals-Blues conglomeration would be great for the Blues. I don't know if the Cardinals necessarily need it, though, because if you're the Blues, you're like, hey, we're, we're lumping in with Cardinal games, and now we're maybe expanding our fan base to include the folks that are just getting our games because they wanted Cardinal baseball. Are, are people really going to pay more because the Blues are in that, in that grouping? I don't necessarily think so either. And the Cardinals know this, by the way. I think I speak for a lot of people when I say these streaming services, and, and you have a kid, I have a couple kids, so I, you almost have to have them all now because your kid is going to have one show they like on every streaming service. But when it comes to your big, your big cable bill, and my wife and I were talking about this the other day, about how much now we bundle with internet, but still, for how much we pay for cable to literally never watch cable, yep. we... And I say this, I'm, I'm sorry, I used to work in the local news. And that, that's not even cable. You can, you can get the, the local station. Digital antenna, baby, let's go. Yeah. I don't watch any television other than Cardinals games, really. Everything else is Netflix, HBO Max, Amazon Prime for my kids, whatever it is, Disney Plus. So the Cardinals, and Blues fans would say the same, but the Cardinals is literally the only thing that I would pay for. And I would be fine with paying the Cardinals directly. And I would, I would easily get rid of everything else in cable and it wouldn't bother me one bit. And you'd have a digital antenna to watch Martin on Fox two and of course. really NFL games, right? That's yes. the main thing on, on channel two, channel four, channel five, channel 30. Like you, you have that. You talk about all the streaming services for the kids, man. Sesame street is free. That's what I'm talking about on YouTube. You just, you yes. just pop that on and you're good to go. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think most people are exactly in your boat. We're the only reason, and it's folks of, you know, my, my parents' generation who they say, all this kind of new stuff with streaming, maybe that's not for me, but I know I want to watch Cardinal baseball. So they don't question it. You know, they, they, they recognize that it's kind of outlandishly expensive, but they sit here and say, well, it's to try to figure out another way to make sure I'm getting Cardinal baseball in the summer. It's not worth the headache. I'm just going to keep paying 200 bucks a month for whatever package I have on cable. The moment is going to come where that's, no longer the factor. And that's when cable just ceases to exist. It, stuff like Cardinal baseball 
and what you know around the country the similar situations but maybe uniquely to cardinal baseball that's the only thing keeping it afloat right now it really is because a lot of folks just have it for sports and it with the unbundling and the streaming services now we all spend as much money on it as as we used to with just cable um which you know not great for consumers but that was probably always their plan but like the last frontier is sports going directly to that and then it's done for cable and and I think that's probably the direction we're going. But the Cardinals specifically can take advantage of that. I think that's where it where it comes in. Quick tangent for all the parents out there, because this just happened. My wife and I weren't uh, really paying attention until we noticed the other day that my daughter, you know, she's got the remote. She's almost six. She's six tomorrow, actually. Happy birthday. She was pressing what we thought was just play. No, she was pressing buy. Mm-hmm. To Curious George, she had bought like 30 episodes for $2.99 a pop. We were not paying attention. There's got to be better safeguards for that. I'm sorry. If a six-year-old, I'm not, let's, my, my daughter, I think she's pretty bright, but she's, she's barely six years old. If your kid can grab the remote and buy $90 worth of Curious George, I feel like there needs to be an extra step for the parents. I mean, it's my fault. It's our fault, but still, watch out for that. Yeah, it's something to something to keep in mind. I, I like that I'm now going to be on guard for this because yeah. my son, first thing in the morning, he wants the moat and watch Elmo. So I, I thankfully that's all free. Moat, moat. Okay, moat. so um I was looking the other day. This is kind of random. Another shout out. My my very good friend, my former college roommate, just became the assistant hitting coach. Dan Puentes his name for the Cleveland Guardians. So I'm very, very happy for him. He worked his butt off for about 20 years to get this position. He's, he's in the big leagues. It's great. So because I see, okay, Guardians, I'm looking up. All right, when's opening day? When are the Cardinals playing the Guardians? And they're playing them, I believe, late September, like weekend series, September 20th, 22nd. The only reason I bring this up is, as I was going through the schedule, it really hit me that this is a different schedule. And uh, obviously, we know with with the balanced schedule, it's a different ball game. It's not it's not back in the day when you played the Pirates and the Reds nineteen times or whatever it is. I think everybody who's a Cardinals fan, you should check out the schedule. Just I think it'll hit you a little bit that this is a different ball game. So I think when we do win totals and all that, which I don't think it's fair to really do that. Even let's wait to see what the Cardinals do. Do they add a reliever? Let's see what the Cubs do and all that. But uh, it's not going to be as easy as it was the last five years. No, and especially not when you look at the very beginning of the season. They're starting with four in Los Angeles against the Otanis, and then they go to San Diego. Like, you, you've you played two prominent potential playoff caliber teams. It'll be the Mike Schilt reunion ba- uh, matchup there. Within your first seven games for a team that last year, the whole damn thing was, well, they started slow and they never could recover. Look at the first you know couple weeks of, of baseball for the Cardinals. You got the Marlins that are coming to town. That's another team that, you know, his playoff caliber, we believe uh, a lot of good young pitching with, with Skip Schumacher's team. Starting fast is important, but I think if you're the Cardinals, you almost look at it as like, just don't have your head beneath water when you when you get out of April. And that that's almost counterintuitive compared to how much we stress that it was a problem last year for them to be so bad at the beginning of the year. But honestly, you can't maybe ask for much better than just kind of treading water at 500 because it's a gauntlet to begin the season. It really is. That that's interesting, and I saw that as well. I mean, we've all seen about you know the first four game series against the uh, Dodgers, but you mentioned you know Padres next, and you'd think the Padres are kind of in the Cardinals' boat with a much bigger payroll, but bounce back type year. They had huge yeah. expectations last year, and they really underperformed. I'm I'm rooting for Schilte. I like Schilt, so I hope I hope they do well. But this this would be the 
the one year, you know, we probably talk about this too much with baseball, the fast start. Baseball is such a grind. We, we all do this. We go crazy. Oh, whatever's happening in April. And then two months later, everything evens out and you're still only at game 75 and you have whatever, 80, 90 games left. But I would say if there's, if there's a Cardinals team in recent years that needs a nice, fast, just decent, good start, it's this year's team. Yeah, I think I agree with that, too. They were 10 and 19, I think, were the numbers in April last year. And as much as you say it evens out by game 75, I think that was so bad that it never did get a chance. Like, they felt the weight of that start. And because of 10 and 19, they're like, this Wilson Contreras guy sucks. Like, behind the scenes, they were blaming, they were playing the blame game. And that had, I think, an impact tangibly on the clubhouse throughout the rest of the season. No, it wasn't Ollie Marmel telling Tyler O'Neill to run hard. Like, that was Ollie going, I see the avalanche ahead, and I'm trying my best to stop it, and he wasn't able to do it. I think there were other things going on with the pitching staff playing the blame game rather than it was kind of interesting. There was a quote from Wilson Contreras to a question I asked him over the weekend where I said, hey, it was important to you last year to be in spring training so that you can learn your pitchers, but none of your your pitchers were actually there. How much better is it going to be this year that, hey, they're going to be there the whole time? He said, yeah, it's great. Everything starts in spring training. But you know what? We're all grown men, and we need to take responsibility for whether we do something good or do something bad. We're like, whoa, okay. Kind of looks like if you want to read the tea leaves there that Wilson's saying, hey, last year I got blamed for some things that really weren't my fault, and maybe we take some responsibility as a pitching staff. You could also make the case that some of the pitchers who are doing that aren't here anymore. So it could end up being a situation that's better all the way through. But to avoid that bad start, I think is important. But it goes Dodgers, Padres, Marlins, Phillies, defending national champions, Diamondbacks. That's how they start the season before you get the athletics. So I don't know if that's 15, 16 games. You got to be around 500 for that. Otherwise, you could see. I think the clubhouse is in a better place this year, but you don't want to get to a point where the record makes the blame game kind of resurface a little bit. Yeah, and I don't think, and you're not saying this, I don't think, you know, if they're 8-10, and 10, nobody's jumping off the boat. No, but if they're 5-10, no. and 10, you know, if they're 5-15, and 15, like you go 5-11. and 11, it's, it's, yeah, it's funny you mentioned Wilson Contreras because I just find this fascinating. And I, I kind of perked up earlier when you, we did this hypothetical about next year potentially if, uh, if there could be a trade for a, a Goldie or Renato if things didn't go well this year. And, yeah. and you, you put Wilson Contreras at first base, which I find interesting uh, just because, look, the Cardinals did come out on that Saturday last year and say they were going to start working Wilson Contreras into the outfield. And I know it didn't work out that way. I know Katie Wu reported the next day with John Mosellock that they talked to Wilson and changed their mind. But also Brad Thompson said this late in the year about potentially, you know, the Cardinals would go to Wilson Contreras and, and talk about a position change. Now the player has to want to do that. I, I understand that, but I do think that type of situation is still on the table, especially if Herrera is really, really good. And this is also maybe more so for the back half of the contract. Yeah. And, and think about it this way too. Within that hypothetical, we talked about a 2024 that didn't go well. Cardinals lose another 90 games or, you know, 87 games in that world. Could you have imagined that Wilson, not necessarily say he's a bad catcher, but that they just, you know, it still didn't fully click with the, the veteran pitching staff. I wouldn't say that that would be a blame Wilson Contreras, but yeah, here's the, here's the way that I look at this in November. It was like, we'll see if Wilson's a catcher next year. We're going to have to talk about that table that for now, that was kind of the way that Mo said it. It wasn't even November because I should correct myself. 
that there was really no end of season presser. It was like the last day of the season at Bush. I believe Mo was asked about that and said, we'll kind of revisit that. But what did the Cardinals then decide to do to non-tender Andrew Kisner and say, we're going to roll with the two catchers that we have. So that's almost a reinforcing the belief in Contreras, or it says like, we're going to get rid of the toys so that there is nothing to fall back on. Like it's Wilson or bust with Herrera as well, being able to step in, but there's nothing for the pitchers to be able to say like, yeah, we, we want Andrew Kisner. We don't want to throw to Wilson. Like you kind of take away that opportunity for the pitching staff to play that blame game a little bit. But another scenario, if it goes badly in 2025, you're looking at what if it's Herrera for a hundred games, Wilson behind the plate for 40 and Wilson in the field at first base for 80. And then he DHs another 40. Like it could also go that direction where they don't say you're banned from catching, but man, we like the way that Herrera is, is up and coming and we could see him as the catcher of the future here. So we want to continue to give him more opportunities. And then you're, you're putting Wilson at first base on occasion to find him ways into the lineup. And maybe Luke and Baker is, is a, a factor as well. Like there could be other guys. Brendan Donovan can, can play some first base and suddenly Thomas Sejaci is playing more second. Like we don't know all of what's going to unfold in 2024. Uh, but yeah, I think if anything, it's, it's notable that to remove Andrew Kisner from the scenario does in a way reinforce that the Cardinals are going to rely upon Wilson, but Herrera is going to play a lot too this summer. And I think the Cardinals are hoping that they can see something in him to where toward the back half of the Wilson deal, you're allowing that transition to take place more and more. I brought this up last week, but then I looked it up because we were talking about the fact that, you know, can the Cardinals make the jump from a 71, let's say, to a 90-win team maybe maybe easier than folks think? And I brought up Adam Wainwright because he was historically bad last year. And then I looked up the Cardinals' record in his starts, and I yes. believe it was 7-14 and 14, if I'm not – I looked it up last week. I believe it was 7-14. and 14. Continue. Yeah, I'm not sure what the number was, but – So, and this is where I do think there's the potential for – advancement quicker than people think. So let's just say you have a league average-ish pitcher, replace him. And I'm talking about team record. Let's say that guy gets 21 starts. Let's say you go 10 and 11 or 11 and 10 in those starts. Well, that's all of a sudden a six to seven win improvement, right? Because you're going from seven games below to essentially even. Yeah. What if whoever whoever you want to say is replacing Wayno? I don't know, but Kyle Gibson, whoever. If that person can turn it around, and in, and I'm just talking about, I'm not talking about wins and losses with the pitcher decisions. I'm talking about for the team. If the team can now go 14 and seven in those starts as opposed to seven and 14, that's a 14 game swing. And and I hate to keep bagging on Wayno, but Wayno was was awful last year, and he never would have gotten any of those starts if the Cardinals weren't bad and if the Cardinals weren't letting him go for 200. So. If you just had, even if it's Zach Thompson with a four and a half ERA and the team goes, let's just say something happens and Zach Thompson gets 30 starts. I don't think that's going to happen. But let's say he's okay, 4.5 ERA and the Cardinals go 15 and 15. I don't think people realize how much of a jump that is from what Wayno was given the Cardinals last year. Right, because you also have to remember Wayno missed a lot of time. And so you had things happening where Dakota Hudson was making starts. Drew Rahm was making starts. I felt kind of bad for Drew Rahm because Mosellock was talking about the rotation and said, you know, last year we had Drew Rahm making starts at the end and we're not even talking about him now. And I was like, damn, like that. But like, it's kind of true. Like Drew Rahm is most likely going to start the season in Memphis in the rotation and try and build upon the, the cup of coffee he got last year. And maybe later on, 
he's in that depth chart for starting pitching, but I think he's down it a little bit lower because of the guys that they were able to bring in. And I think that's the key of it too. It's not just Wayno. It's all the other guys that aren't on the team anymore, like Dakota, like Jake Woodford, who are your fill-ins. And they don't anticipate needing as many fill-ins because Lance Lynn just takes the ball. Kyle Gibson just takes the ball. And if those guys give you a 500 team record, that is significantly better than what you were getting from the conglomerations of guys that had to be your number four or your number five at various points throughout the season. Right. And I, I just feel like I'm bashing Adam Wayne right here. But well, he's not good last year. I mean, that- he wasn't. And here's the other thing. There was collateral damage from those starts. It wasn't just the 7-14 and 14 in the Wayno starts. It was the fact that for many of those, he was going three to four innings. The bullpen was taxed. And then the next day, all of a sudden, two relievers were not available. So that's where the innings matter. I know innings aren't sexy if it's at a four and a half ERA, but the Kyle Gibson and Lance Lynn innings matter. Tell me, was it you that asked... Either, I think it was Ollie. Did you ask him about that? I feel like somebody at the presser asked Ollie, hey, you can now let Kyle Gibson and Lance Lynn work through stuff. Hey, there's nothing wrong with letting a pitcher go six innings or seven and allowing three or four runs. Like, let Lance Lynn every once in a while go seven innings. Maybe he allows four, but it's a 4-4 game. It's 4-3. It's 5-4, and you can win it later. Yep. But you don't have to use four relievers. There's value to that. There's value to that. And a lot of Cardinals fans, like this is one of the things that I think fans get wrong when it comes to Ollie Marmel. Last year, they would say, oh, he was so quick to pull these starting pitchers. Did y'all see who was in the rotation last year? Like <laughs> Ollie Marmel, in, in the way he answered it, he said the words, but he said more with his eyes because there are things that you're not going to say to overly bash the group of players from last year. But he said, you know, we have the guys now that are, that are, you can do that with essentially. They yeah. didn't have the guys that Ollie Marmel was eager to let go through things in the fifth, sixth, or seventh inning when there was turmoil. I think that was intentional by the Cardinals to grab guys that, yeah, they might give up a few runs, but they're probably going to throw up a zero the next couple of innings to get you to that bullpen in the seventh instead of in the fourth. And how much better? And the Cardinals have talked a ton about this. Like they view it exactly this way. It's not just lip service when they say, like, it's not going to sound sexy, but our bullpen's going to be better because they're not going to be pitching innings four, five, and six. They're going to be pitching the last out of the seventh and then pitch the eighth and ninth. Like, that's the idea behind what they're doing. Is it going to work? We don't know. But that's that's the types of guys they went out and got, and that's the reason for it. And I think you'll see a different type of Ollie Marmel when it comes to, should I let Lance Lynn have another inning? Yeah, he might bite my head off if I don't, versus... <laughs> Should I let Jake Woodford get, should I let Dakota Hudson? Yeah, Dakota's looking good today, but what's going to happen if we overextend that and, and kind of play with fire there? I think this was absolutely by design, and you could see the argument where it does make the bullpen better just by default because Casey Lawrence and Jacob Barnes and Andrew Suarez aren't pitching innings four, five, and six for this team. And that's where you mentioned Rom, and also, uh, so we'll throw Graceffo out there. And, and whoever else you want to put in that in that mix. But that's why even though they were bad, the Dakota Hudson and Jake Woodford pieces, just as depth, whatever you want to number, six, seven, eight, you know there's going to be probably nine starters that make a start. Yeah. When, when you look at injuries and you got old pitchers and doubleheaders and all that, that's where, again, it, it's not something we focus on, but the Roms and the Graceffos of the world are going to have a big role because – 
The Cardinals' entire rotation is 35, whatever, years old plus. Somebody's going to get hurt. Somebody's probably going to be bad this year. Let's be real. One of those guys will probably be bad. One will probably get hurt. And all of a sudden, okay, you got Zach Thompson, but it gets pretty quick that all of a sudden Drew Rahm's making starts again in most years. Or a Gordon Graceffa, whoever that guy is, is going to have to make a start or two. That usually happens in most years. And they need those guys like Graceffo and like Michael McGreevy to get McGreevy. to spring training and be yeah. ready to go. Like they need to get them, they need to get them to be ready to fill in this year. And Mosaic last year at winter warmup said those two guys by name and said, We're going to be relying upon Graceffo and McGreevy. It didn't work they out didn't that way. There. Well, you know, I can do it for like a word or two, but then I trail out of it because it's harder to sustain. No, he but, starts with well. Well, but so. I really do think that because of where they were in the standings, there was not this push to say, let's throw a McGreevy out there and start his clock or let's throw a Graceffo out there. And, and, you know, they weren't winning last year anyway. So there came a point in time where the Cardinals kind of, I think internally said, let's just wait and see. And it's not like they were lighting it up with the peripherals of in triple a, Hey, we can see the signs that these guys are ready. It's not that they were pitching terribly. Like it's hard to have a good ERA in triple a, it's an automatic strike zone. The guys have talked about how the high strike doesn't exist because the they can the, the ABS system or whatever, like it's just different than it is at the big league level. And so it, I think this past year was an adjustment for sure for the guys at AAA to be able to have that kind of knowledge of what the strike zone was going to look like. And so numbers were bad across the board, but they got to have those guys hone in and take that step forward because like you said, they're still going to be relied upon, especially if you take a Libertor and say, he looks good in spring. He looked good last year uh, in September out of the pen. He's our our second lefty reliever behind JoJo, and that's the way we're going to go with that to make the bullpen better. I think Libby's going to be a reliever this year. Like That would be my prediction because I think it's a better bullpen if he is able to just take that short burst and throw 98 and be able to, to channel that in that way. That's going to then strain some of those AAA guys. To, they got to be ready when, when, the, when the bell is called because it's going to be. Injuries absolutely do happen. So in that scenario, where's Zach Thompson to start the year? He's well, that's really tough. Like I, I see this one of two ways. I've mapped it out where in the bullpen. I think Jojo Romero is going to be in there and going to be part of the late inning mix as a lefty. Um, and then I think one of Thompson Libertor is going to be in the bullpen. One of them has to be. Um, and I and I think it I lean toward it being being Libby. Even though Libby is younger than Zach Thompson, I just can sense the appetite for the Cardinals to try out Thompson more as a starter and with Libby. It may not be fair to him, but is there almost this attitude of like, how many seasons are we going to do this? Even though he was a kid drafted out of high school, and so he is only like 24 years old, they saw a little bit of a spark from him in the bullpen where I think they might want to utilize that. So if I predicted it, Libby's in the bullpen as a lefty. John King does have an option remaining, but he did a nice job and could be like your third lefty. And then you could maybe have a, a Palante as a swing guy who can pitch against lefties because of his arsenal, but he's also technically a right-hander. Um, so like I could kind of see Zach Thompson being your number one starter in Memphis and the first guy up when, when somebody pulls a hamstring or something in that rotation, which honestly probably happens in February. So Zach Thompson's your number five to begin the season. If we're being honest, because someone's getting hurt, it happens every single spring. You don't know who it's going to be. You just cross your fingers that it's not Sonny gray and you, you move on. So I think Thompson, if, if he has the spring that we hope he has, He'll be that first man up when there is an injury. So you're holding him back as a starter. Well said. See, I I, I should never worry about filling time. You know, we always we always <laughs> this, isn't, this isn't filling time, by the way. This is quality Cardinals content, okay, for our viewers and our listeners out there, Brendan. Okay. As we used to say on um 
what was the name of that show with you and Martin? Middle Relief. No, Midday Grind. Midday Grind. As y'all said on the Midday Grind, a lot to get to. We've always got a lot to get to, it seems. So, yeah, there's no problem filling the uh, filling out 50 minutes. Cool. So did I uh, did I miss anything? Because, again, you spent, I think, probably 47 hours at Winter Warm-Up. Did I miss any hot topics? I don't know. <laughs> I think we did pretty good. I think we did pretty good. You missed the chance that I really need to take to say, hey, look, Charlie is a ball hog. He wants all these videos on his YouTube channel. I am youtube.com slash at bshafer12. Just put Brendan Schaefer, St. Louis Cardinals writer, in your YouTube search. Subscribe to my channel, too, because he is absolutely hogging the ball here, and I resent him for it. So yes. sure hit me up, too. Make sure you follow Brendan. And just so everybody knows, because uh, I know how narratives work in the media space, and I know how one comment can be manipulated, just so everybody knows, for years, whether it was Brendan, Jeff Jones now, Kyle Reese, some other people that I won't mention their names, but I always, anybody who comes on this YouTube channel, they get paid. They get paid with an upside, too, of, of views. So it's on us to do as, seriously, the better we do, the more money we make. Just so everybody knows, everybody is compensated for their time. People's time, Brendan, your time is valuable. My time is valuable. I want to pay people because, you know what? You, you, spent, you spent half your life at the winter warm-up. You deserve to be paid for your information. I'm being serious. I'm half joking, but I'm, I'm really being serious. You are the benevolent you know, overlord of the Charlie Marlowe YouTube channel. We just, we're just so lucky to have you. But isn't it better, though, like when somebody calls you up and goes, hey, come on a podcast, isn't it nicer if they give you a couple bucks? Come on. Yeah, now. absolutely. And that's with my channel is exactly why, like, I want to start doing some things where I talk to people more often, but I don't want to ask people of their time on like, cause we're going to do this every week and, and maybe yes. even more if, if people get really on board with it. I don't want to start asking people of their time on a weekly basis, unless I'm like, I know I'm making a little revenue and can do that. So your empire is growing. I am happy to be a part <laughs> of it. Uh, but with that, that I mean, 7,000 subscribers, I'm, I always look and I go, hey, my channel is one-sixth of Charlie Marlowe's. Ooh, I'm down to one-fourth of Charlie Marlowe's. I'm, I'm coming for you, but I need some help from your audience to get there, I think. so. We'll, for we'll sure. And, and they will help. And I got some from your audience. You know who I'm hunting down is Locked On Cardinals. Yeah, I've locked on Cardinals has about I think it's about nine. Is it about nine thousand subscribers? They've got a they've got a nice thing going over there. Yeah, yeah. I haven't talked to uh, I think JD is the fellow's yes. name. I gotta I gotta chat him up because you know we're all we're all kind of in the same boat where yes we're we're doing Cardinal content on YouTube. There's no reason that it should be cutthroat radio. It used to be radio wars. I don't know what you'd call it. Uh, YouTube wars. I don't know if we need that in St. Louis. So we're all we're all friendly with one another, and we'll just. Uh, you know, try to try to behind the scenes kind of claw claw our way up to see to see who can get the most uh, subscribers. Yes, it's a healthy relationship amongst an ecosystem. We're all in it together as all these traditional media types try to look down upon YouTube, but then they all eventually get on YouTube as well. What's oh yeah, that? that's these are scissors in case I have to cut throat. You know anything going yes. on with our media media wars? The cat though, it's it, you know it's crazy because. Already, I looked. I texted him and I said, "You already passed me in subscribers." Um, so I've decided that he's an industry plant when it comes to the YouTube game. He's an industry plant that they, you know, they've put out there to interview these players and to be quirky like he does. And uh, he's just got that built-in advantage. But we did. I even, I even tried to help him out at the beginning too because he claims that he's an old that doesn't understand how all this YouTube works. But uh, he's doing great as well on his channel. 
Yes, he is. Check that one out as well. Yeah, we're getting a lot of good Cardinals YouTube channels. So, all right. Well, thank you, sir. Brendan Schaefer, follow Brendan on all of his platforms and Twitter. And he kind of looks like Brock Purdy a little bit if he didn't have a mustache and if he was taller, more muscular, and better, better looking. looking. Yeah. Other than that, basically he's, the a, same. He's, yeah. a, he's a dead ringer for Brock Purdy. All right. Thanks, guys. Comment, like, subscribe, share the video, share the channel, share the show, subscribe, subscribe to Brendan and all that. Peace out. We'll see you next week. Low hanging fruit. What do you think? Is this the name we keep? Do we like it? Do we not? I got a lot of, uh, I can never end a show. I got a lot of um, I got a lot of uh, recommendations for nicknames or for the show. I didn't really like very many of them, so maybe it's low hanging fruit. Who knows? Okay, see you later.